This morning and turn to James chapter 2 as we kind of wrap up James chapter 2 this morning. As you're turning there, in a nutshell, we were reminded last week that faith without works is dead. And furthermore, we understand that no one is saved by his or her own works. However, if they are truly saved, they will have a natural desire to work or serve the Lord. Well, today we're going to examine James chapter 2. We're going to be reminded once again of verse 20 and end up in verse 26. And we'll see a couple of examples whereby one who has faith in God demonstrates their faith in their works. If I could say it this way, last week we looked as, at an example of what dead works are. In other words, a faith that is not real, a faith that is non-existent. Uh, today we're going to look at the opposite side of that. What is real faith and what does that look like? So if you want James chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading once again. I'm going to kind of pick up verse 20 and end up in verse 26. It says, Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as a body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. God, I pray that you would teach us what we need to learn. And Lord, that we may put into practice the things that we're taught this morning. And God, I pray that we would, as we leave this place today, Lord, that we would once again, uh, Lord, search internally. Lord, that we would be willing to put into practice the things that we have heard. So God, work in our hearts. And I pray that your Holy Spirit might have the free reign, Lord, to do whatever it chooses is best for us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by sharing an observation from last week's discussion. And uh, those of you that come each and every Sunday night, we have a wonderful uh, time of discussion. We go over some of what is in the morning service. We add a little bit to it. But we have an opportunity to discuss what we're learning and kind of reinforce the things that we're being taught as God works and teaches us through the, through the Bible and so forth. But uh, Cheryl brought up an interesting point from verse 20, uh, one that I hadn't considered before. Well, first of all, verse 20, it says this. Foolish man, are you willing to... What's the word? Learn. Are you willing to learn? Well, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. That faith without works is useless or fruitless. Well, we understand, first of all, that foolish has the idea of being empty. He's an empty man. I don't know about you, but if I can kind of just draw a parallel for that, from that for just a moment that we feel, feel most fulfilled when we are doing what God asks us to do. Do you believe that? When we are serving in the capacity that God has gifted us to serve, that is where we feel most fulfilled. I don't know about you, but when I'm not doing what God has not called me to do, when I'm not involved with, or when I'm involving my time, my energy, my resources, and things that really don't matter, that's work. But when I'm doing what God asks me to do, and I'm stepping into that role and doing what God has gifted me to do, and what He has burdened me to do, and I respond in obedience, that's when I am not empty. 
That's when I am fulfilled. And if we want to find fulfillment in Christ, you have to be in obedience to God. You can't have fulfillment apart from serving and obeying God. So he says, foolish man. The foolish has the idea of being empty here. Empty of what? Specifically, I believe, of knowledge. Knowledge that if you are truly saved, you should be yielding to the works of righteousness in your life. There ought to be, as we said last week, a desire, a natural desire innate within us that if we are truly God's child, we'll want to serve Him in some way. So, very first of all, back to this point, it says, Foolish man, are you willing to learn? Are you willing to discern? Are you willing to recognize? Is a word that can be uh, uh, placed in that verse. Are you willing to recognize that? What? Faith without works are useless. And the word useless there in, in the Holman Christian there, in the Greek language, really has an idea of being fruitless. When we are not serving God, we are really, what? Fruitless. There is nothing to... I, I was listening to someone the other day on a conversation I was having on the phone. He says, you know, I feel bad for so many people. He said, we have churches full of people who, for one reason or another, don't want to serve God. And maybe the desire is there, but they never take that step of obedience and get involved in serving God. And as a result of it, one day when God either calls us home or we die and we stand at the feet of Jesus, we'll have nothing to give to Jesus. Nothing to cast at His feet because what we've done has been fruitless. Maybe it's been selfishly motivated. Maybe it's been, for whatever reason, we choose not to do it and we'll have nothing to lay at the feet of Jesus. So He says faith without works is useless. It's fruitless. It doesn't yield a fruit that would be pleasing to God. And he says here, in God's Word reminds us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, he says, A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is what? Cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, he says, if a tree is not producing good fruit, if it is not bearing fruit, it is what? Good for nothing but to be cast down and then to be burned. And he says, this is something we need to learn. You see, sometimes serving God doesn't come naturally, but it should. The longer we serve God, the more that we learn to please Him in our life and our daily actions, the more our desire should be within us to serve Him. And we have to be reminded, we have to recognize, we have to learn that faith, if it is truly within us, will produce a fruit of service to the Lord. A work of righteousness, if you will. So we have to understand that if it's not producing fruit, if our life is not producing fruit, what good is it? See, God called us and we'll be reminded of this a little bit later, that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, so it's not by our own works, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then it goes on in verse 10 and says what? For we are His workmanship, created unto good works. So God had it in His, in his master plan that when He calls a child to Himself, that we will turn in obedience and, and in love for Him and serve Him with our life. And He reminds us over and over, Romans chapter 12, He says, hey, present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your what? Reasonable. 
In other words, he says, what I expect of you is not unreasonable. It's, it's, it's reasonable. It's something that you, it's the least that we can do because of what I've done for you. And so the question I want us to ponder for a little bit this morning is, in our own lives, if we look internally, what is our work of righteousness? What is our work for, of service for the Lord that God is going to honor? What is the fruit that may come from our life because we are willing to surrender our life to His? So, as we look at this, fruit is proof of one belonging to God. If we could say it that way. So, in verses 14 through 20, he makes it very clear. We see an example of faith that is not real. But as we come into verses 21 through 26, we see an example of true faith that is real. And so, the reminder once more in verse 20 that faith without works is useless. So, look at verses 21 through 24 once again. So he says, wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered uh, Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was perfected. So that the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And he was called God's friend. So over and over, Abraham was uh, exemplified in his faith in God through his work for the Lord. And part of, the, part of the one we want to see here is that God doesn't leave it up to chance or speculation as to what that work was. He says, wasn't Abraham justified by what? Offering his son. So let's look at that just for a moment. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 22 just for a few moments. Genesis chapter 22. Way back in the beginning here. Now think about this just for a moment. Genesis chapter 22. This is probably one of the most difficult things that any person would ever be asked to do. But in Genesis chapter 22, I want to begin reading verse 1. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Now let me just uh, say this out loud, that I don't know that I would want this test. I wouldn't want this test. Um, I look at my own children and I say, man, I love them. I could never do anything that would hurt them. And uh, we don't enjoy this kind of testing. In fact, we don't like any kind of testing. I don't even care if it's academics in school. I didn't like tests. So, put this into a real-life situation where God says, I'm looking at my servant Abraham, and I've got a test for him. He says, take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go there to worship. Now think about this. In Romans chapter 12, depending on which translation you look at, in one translation, I think it's in the King James and New King James, it says, this is your reasonable service. Works. This is the least that you can do. In Genesis 22, he says, we are going there to a place of worship, a place of service, a place of working for the Lord. And that's what he calls it in James chapter 2. So he's going there to worship, and this worship entailed what? Offering his only son. Well, God, isn't it enough just to say that I believe that you're there? 
I mean, isn't it just enough to say that I believe you? God, hey, hey, there's no, there's no question, God. I believe you. But do I have to justify uh, my faith by this, doing this thing? We see that the fact that he was willing to obey is justification of his faith in God. You see, it's one thing that we were reminded of a week ago. Even the devil believes and trembles. You see, there are a lot of people who say they believe. But idle belief, if it doesn't result in a life of service, is what? Non-existence. Dead. Not there. So God begins to test Abraham and says, are you really with me? Are you really willing to do what I've asked you to do? Are you really committed? Of course, Abraham passes the test. And I want you to understand something here. Many years after Abraham was already declared righteous, I'm sorry, many years earlier, in fact, we're not going to go there, but in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was already justified by his faith, uh, or declared righteous by his faith. But in Genesis chapter 22, God puts it to the test. So he says, we're going up to the place, and they wor- they're going to worship there. I don't know, that's kind of a difficult test. But he says, then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the sacrificial knife. And the two of them walked on together. Can you imagine just for a moment if you were Isaac? Um, Dad, I see we have wood. You've got fire and a knife, but um, I'm not seeing... uh, not seeing any uh, animals here. God had to have been at work here. It, it, it's so supernatural that if God's not at work, there's a big mistake going on here, right? But see, God is at work. Go on here. Uh, verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 7. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham, and he said, My father, and replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. And when they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Stop right there. Can you imagine having your faith tested that way? I can't even fathom that. I don't want to go through that. That's not something that's fun and enjoyable and pleasing, something we want to you know, put on our bucket list. But can you imagine just for a moment, how, how would he have done this? And your mind kind of plays a million different scenarios in, 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 the, in the process here. I mean, you say, hey, Isaac, come over here so I can put a, you know, let's play a game here of cat and mouse and let's tie you up and see if you can get away from it. Or did he say, Isaac, lay down, and he just laid down? How did it happen? How would it have taken place? All I know is that God was at work here, and Abraham was tested. And is he going to obey, or is he not going to obey? Because everything ultimately comes down to obedience. Everything ultimately always comes down to obedience. In every aspect of life, our faith is hinged on our obedience to God. If it's true faith, we'll desire to obey Him. Everything ultimately always comes down to obedience. <coughs> so verse 10. 
Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! He replied, Here I am. Then he said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And since you have not withheld your only son from me, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by the thorn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Put yourself in in that scenario just for a moment this morning. If I say that I believe in God, and yet I'm not willing to obey God, in the things that he asks of me, am I truly a child of God? You see, because ultimately our faith in God produces obedience in the form of serving him. Righteous works, righteous service, a fruitful life. And if those things are not part of my daily routine, there's a problem. And that problem says I have to look internally. Am I truly a child of God? That's not something we want to look at because, listen... So many of us, we grew up in church. We're talking about this morning. You know, I look at my life and I say, you know what? God is an awesome God. But God saves some people out of sin. And sometimes God saves people from some sin. You know what? As a five-year-old, when I remember hearing the gospel so clear, the chalk artist was there and he was drawing a Roman soldier and, and he was telling the story of the crucifixion and why Jesus Christ had to die and they realized that when Christ died on that cross, he shed his blood that we might have forgiveness of sin and that I was a sinner. I, I understood it very clearly as a five-year-old. But I can tell you also very clearly, at five-year-old, I wasn't into drugs, I wasn't into alcohol, I wasn't into sexual immorality. I hadn't got there yet. God kept me from some of those things. And I praise him for that. And at the same time, God saves other people out of those things. But the miracle is that God saves. And sometimes people go through life in church, maybe as that five-year-old, just kind of going through life. Well, this is what we do. Our parents bring us to church. Our parents take us home. Our parents bring us to church. Our parents take us home. Well, we hear the stories. They say, well, I believe. I believe. But they never get involved and truly sacrifice and surrender all to the Lord's work. God had a master plan, did he not? How did God implement his plan of reaching the world? Was it by mass media and computers and and satellites? Or was it by word of mouth, life-touching life? Which one was it? Life-touching life. The obedience of one reaching out to another one and another one and another one and another one. God has set aside us as a, his word says, a peculiar people to do his work. And I wonder, are we doing that? If I never take that step of obedience and truly say, God, I surrender, I'm willing to serve, I have to ask that hard question. Am I truly saved? Am I truly his child? Am I truly born again? Because if I am truly his child, if I am truly born again, if I have truly put my faith in him, the result of that faith is that I want to live a life of service for him. One follows the other. It would be pointless to say I believe, but then never do anything. 
It'd be pointless to say, well, I'm going to serve God, but I really don't believe that he's really there. They work hand in hand. And Abraham was put to this test, God's word says, in James, James 2. And he says he was justified, his faith was justified by his works. And the work that he was referring to by his willingness to obey God and what he asked him to do. Ultimately, it comes down to obedience. And you know what? He did have great faith. In fact, Abraham was justified by his faith in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. The genuineness of his faith was revealed to the world when he offered up his son. And then in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 19, it talks about his great faith. In fact, just for a moment, Hebrews chapter 11. I love this passage. And trust me, he had to truly believe to obey like this. In 11 and verse 19, it says this. Actually, let's go to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promise that he was offering his unique son. The one that had been said about, your seed will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead as an illustration. He received him back. I believe that Abraham, when he brought Isaac up on that mountain to the place that God had told him, when he raised that 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 knife up and God got his attention and just before he came down, I believe that Abraham says, even if I do this, God's going to raise him back. <coughs> but here's the point. He was willing to put his faith to action and obey what God asked him to do. That's not always easy. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 4 just for a moment. Romans chapter 4. Verse 1. What can we say that? Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag about. But not before God. See, Abraham says, you know, the question is here. It's, it's a question. If, if, he, if it was all about what he could do, then he has a reason to boast. Look what I've done. I am going to heaven because of what I do or what I've done. No. He says, if it was anything he did, he'd have a reason to brag. But, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. What's he saying here? Abraham's faith produced faithful works. But he doesn't stop there in James chapter 2. He gives us another illustration. And the illustration is that of Rahab. Now, I don't know about you, but Rahab wasn't probably the most uh, respectable person in the culture, right? I mean, she had the most upstanding job and, you know, the job that everybody desired. No! She was a prostitute. And the Bible says that even though she was a prostitute, she did have faith. And we see this in Joshua chapter 2. Once again, the story here, so we can understand it, just as Exodus, Vegas, Numbers, go through it till you find the book of Joshua. Right there in the beginning, Joshua chapter 2. And we see this right away. Actually, let's just concentrate on verses 9 through 12 for time's sake. Or verses 8 through 12. The promise to Rahab here, your, your heading may say, verse 8, Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, 
And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og and the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart. And everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is a God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to me and my family, because I showed kindness to you. So what did you do? Give me a sign that you will spare the lives of my father and so forth. What did they do? She, hide, she hid, this, hid this, the uh, spies. Did she have to do that? Couldn't she say, well, wait a minute. I believe God, but wait a minute. I, I, I don't want to get involved because if I get caught with these... No, you don't understand. I don't want you guys in my house. If they come banging on my door, I don't want it to be anywhere near you guys. Get out of here. But she didn't do that. She said, I've seen the result of your God. I've seen the result of what God can do. And she put her faith on the line, as demonstrated in James 2, and she hid the slaves, protected them. Rahab did more than, quote-unquote, just believe. And I think that's where we have to ask ourselves in this day and age that we live. We need to do more than just believe. There is a work to do. And it's very easy for someone like me as a pastor to say, well, we got empty chairs and you guys aren't sharing the gospel. we got blah, 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 blah. Throw all that aside. God had a master plan to use his people to reach the lost for the glory of God. Right? And his plan involves you and I saying, Lord, I don't just believe. I want to put my faith in action. I want to serve you and do whatever you ask me to do in this world that you have me to live. It really, ultimately, always comes down to obedience. And if there's no obedience in our life, what's it say about our faith? Do we truly trust God? Are we truly willing to put our faith on the line? And, and let me just say this. Our faith demands action. Can I say it that way? Our faith demands action. In other words, faith has to be sacrificial. Or, or the action that it demands is sacrificial. Because it's not about me. Because there's a lot of things that happen in a given work week that I don't really necessarily enjoy. Anybody else relate? I don't, really, I don't always enjoy doing the things that God places in front of me to do. Let me, let me say this. Steps of a good man are ordered by our Lord, and he delights in his way. I love being in the place that God has for me to be. But I will tell you, from a fleshly standpoint, it's sometimes inconvenient for me. Right? It's inconvenient. Well, I really don't want to go over there right now because I really have these things to do. And, and if I go over there and do that thing that God has placed in my lap, then I'm not going to get this thing over here done. It's inconvenient sometimes, but it's inconvenient because the world is revolving around me and what I want. But when I say, God, what is it that you want that changes the entire perspective? Because the work week is not about me now. And remember, the work week is for two reasons. Remember? Provide for my family and to have a place to serve on the mission field. That's the two reasons God gave you a job. Everything else is just life. But in the big process of it all, my faith demands action. 
And the action that it demands is not about me and what I want. It's about what God has for me and my life. And it's going to demand sacrifice. It's going to demand time. It's going to demand talent. It's going to demand treasure. It's going to demand everything that we have. Because remember, it's not about me. Right? Do we get that? It's not about me. It's not about you either. It's all about Him. And what is it that God demands? A life of fruitfulness. A life of saying, God, I surrender. A life of God saying, I'll serve you. Because we are His workmanship. It's created under good works in Christ Jesus. So he gives us two examples. One is Abraham, one is Rahab the harlot. Two people who are willing to put their faith on the line and step out in obedience and do what God asked them to do. So it's not just enough just to say, well, I believe. Faith steps into action. Hebrews chapter 11, once again, just a reminder how, how, <laughs> what God thought of these people. Uh, we look down at verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promise that was offering his unique son. The one that had been t- said about your seed will be traced. So God totally honors it. Then down to verse 31. Uh, By faith Rahab the prostitute received the spies in, in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. God honored her obedience. God honored her faith as she's willing to step out and do what God asked her to do. So what's the big deal? Real faith is proactive. It's demonstrated by our desire to do the works of righteousness, and real faith produces faithfulness. Real faith produces faithfulness. Faithfulness to God, and faithfulness to service, and faithfulness to being who He had called us to be. He just says it over and over. I mean, it's just as plain as day. Faith without works is useless. It's non-fruitful. It accomplishes nothing. So what can you say from God's Word here? If I say that I believe, but my life doesn't, act, doesn't demonstrate that, do I really believe? Do I really have it? Do I really, am I really a child of God if I never take that next step? So the question is, how, do I, how can I change that? It's called obedience. You know, it's amazing that God does something different in all of our lives. Uh, I'm thankful that God didn't make two of me because that would just frustrate people to no end. But I'm also glad didn't make two of you because that would frustrate me and other people to no end. He made us all different, right? Isn't that awesome? He made us all uniquely different. And I just believe with all my heart that when you do what God has asked you to do... Now, let me just say this. This is kind of just a side point I want to step on real hard just for a minute. I think those of you that have been here long enough, some of the three years that I've been here, you know that it's not my church. It's, it's not mine, is it? It's God's. And sometimes I have an opinion of how things should go, and you have an opinion of how things should go. But you know, so often I say, you know what? I'm willing to let that go because you know what? If God's burned you to do it, I want you to walk in obedience. So someone came up, come up to me and say, Pastor, can we? I say, you know what? If you believe God's in it, what can I do to help you? I want you to walk in obedience to God. Because this is His body. And you're part of that body. And if you're truly saved, you truly know Jesus Christ, if you truly have faith in Him that is real, you'll want to have, 
have a true obedience that produces real fruit that is a work of service for the Lord. That should be your desire. And so when you step forward in that and you're obedient to what God calls you to do, what does that look like? It won't be that foolish man. It says foolish man implies that you're empty. And you're empty because you haven't learned that faith without works is dead. So when we're willing to learn that, then you start to become obedient and you put your faith into action and it begins to produce a work of righteousness for the Lord and a service for the Lord and then all of a sudden you're not empty anymore. You're fulfilled doing what God has asked you to do. You want real fulfillment? It comes down to obedience in Christ. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take that step? What does that look like for all of you? I don't know. But I do know this. I believe with all my heart that if you say, God, how do you want me to serve? What is it that you want me to do? God will reveal that. And I'll do my part to say, hey, how can I make that happen? But it starts within us saying, God, I'll obey. I'll take that step. I'll do what you ask me to do. This whole process, going right back to James 1.1, they're all scattered, they're in a new place, they're learning new things, he's reminding them again, and next week he's going to say, oh, wait a minute, by the way, as you start walking in obedience, you better guard your tongue. So we're going to learn about that next week. But as we go out this week, what is it that God wants you to do? What is it that God wants you to be? To live out that faith. It wasn't enough just for Abraham to say, well, God, I believe you. It wasn't enough just for, Abraham, or for Rahab to say, well, I heard the stories and it must be true. Their faith was put to the test. Do you really believe me? Do you really trust me? Then here's what I want you to do. And it comes down to obedience. Are you willing to obey?